Worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. What is praise and worship for? Does it have a point? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're asking a really simple question. What is worship for? What's the point? As simple as the question is, sometimes the answers are lacking. So that's what I hope to clear up today. But before we get to that, I want to give you something. If you're working with your worship team on a song that's all right, but you wish that it could be more interesting, download this PDF. It gives you 25 great ideas of how to keep people's attention during a song. It gives you a couple sentences about why that trick works, and then it gives you a song from the radio where you can hear the trick in action. Again, go to blueprintsounds.com, or you can click on the link nearby, which is blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. With that, let's get to our main topic, what is the point of worship? In the past, when I've heard people try and explain what worship is for, why we do it, I've heard answers like this. Well, we don't worship God because we feel like it. We worship him because he's worthy. Okay, that makes sense. But that still doesn't answer the question, what is the use of it? Yes, he's worthy, and that makes complete sense. But, but does he use it for anything? And so then you'll get answers like this. Well, no, he doesn't need it. He wants it. He's not a needy God. There's, there's nothing that we could give him that he would need, but he does want it. So then the logical question is, what does he want it for? And then you'll hear an answer like this. Well, it's not that he needs it, but we need to give it to him. It's good for us. Wait, so then worship is for us? No, 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 worship is for him. But he doesn't use it for anything. You see how confusing that is? I have a car, and my car needs gas, right? On some cosmic level, maybe it deserves gas. But if the tank is full then what's the point of pumping gas onto the concrete? If it has no use, what's the point? If God has no value for our worship because he doesn't need it, then what value does worship and praise have if it's only for him? Right? If he doesn't value it, then what's the value? It's all very confusing. But I think we can make sense of it if we start from the beginning and we look at what the purpose of people is. So here I am in Genesis 1.28, just after God created Adam and Eve. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Oftentimes, that scripture is called the dominion mandate. God creates the world and then gives it over to Adam and Eve and says, You rule over it. You take care of my earth and all of creation, all of nature, and put it under your rulership. That was the original intent for humanity, was to steward, and by steward I mean using somebody else's resources to do somebody else's work. Our job was to take care of God's creation using the resources that he gave us. That's the purpose of people. That's what we exist on the earth to do. Now let's go to the New Testament and see how that same thing shows up Again, here I am in Matthew 28. Jesus has been crucified and buried and resurrected, and this is just before his ascension. This is the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the same mandate in different language. He says, go take over the world. He doesn't just say, teach them everything I have told you, teach all the nations what I've told you. He says, teach them to observe or teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, he tasks the apostles with putting under the rulership of Christ the entire world. And that is the same thing that God tasked Adam and Eve with, was to take over the entire world, not for domination, but for dominion. There's one more scripture to put a finer point on what our job is. Here is Paul writing in Ephesians 3, verse 10. He's talking about the purpose of the church. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So not only are we to rule over creation, like it says in Genesis, and in Matthew, Jesus tells us to teach everyone to obey what he has commanded, so over people. But in Ephesians, Paul explains that the job of the church is to make known the wisdom of God to the heavenly places, the entire spiritual realm, the angels and the demons and everybody else. So, it encapsulates everything, creation, people, their souls, and the heavenly realms. It's all of it. So, now how are we supposed to do that exactly? Well, there's a scripture in Psalms that explains a little bit of how we do it. So, here we are in Psalm 22.3, and this is David speaking. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. There's two words in there that are pretty important, enthroned and praises. Enthroned is the Hebrew word yashab, which literally means to sit down. And the other word is tehillah, translated praise, which is glory, laudation, or spontaneous song of praise. So, what David is saying is that God comes and sits down in the tehillah of his people, the song or the glory of his people. That is very interesting, and that gives us a window of what praise and worship is for. Praise and worship is designed, is meant to enthrone the Lord. So now let's look at a couple scriptures where that happens. All right, so here we are in Exodus Moses and the entire nation of Israel is out in the desert at the base of Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses he's coming. He's coming to meet his people on Mount Sinai. So that's chapter 19. We pick it up at verse 16. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. That word trumpet in Hebrew is actually shofar, which is the ram's horn. And it has a piercing, loud sound. And you can imagine that the entire nation would tremble because it doesn't say somebody from the nation of Israel sounded the shofar. It says that it happened. So probably an angel, but however it happened, people heard a shofar sound. And what did that mean? It meant that the Lord was coming to meet with his people on the mountain. So that's the first time that we see the shofar heralding the arrival of Jehovah. Well, it shows up again. So here we are in Joshua. We all know this story, the story of Jericho. Here we are in chapter 6, where the angel of the Lord is giving the battle plan to Joshua. 
You shall march around the city, all of the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns, that's the shofar, before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets, the shofars. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So here we are in verse 20. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. That story is quite something, but it's even more interesting when you think about it in the context of what happened at Mount Sinai. The Israelites knew what the trumpet meant. It wasn't just, hey, blow the horn and then shout and the walls come down. They knew what they were doing. They knew that the shofar heralded the arrival of Jehovah, that Jehovah was about to be enthroned or sit down in the middle of his people's praise. So when they shouted and blew the horns, they knew what they were doing. They knew that they were inviting the Lord to come and be in that place. Well, when he's there establishing his kingdom, of course the walls are going to fall down. So there's this sequence of events in scripture. First, we praise and we worship. That invites the Lord to come and sit down in the midst of his people and be enthroned. Well, as we all know, where does God sit in heaven? On his throne. So if he's going to come to earth and sit down, He's sitting on his throne on earth, meaning he is establishing his kingdom on the earth. That's exactly what happened at Mount Sinai. That's exactly what happened in Jericho. Well, it happens in the New Testament too. So here we are in Mark 11. This is known as the triumphal entry. Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is actually a translation of the Hebrew words Hosha'ana, which means save Lord, I pray, or save Lord, I beseech thee. When these people are singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're actually quoting a psalm. They're quoting Psalm 119. That says the exact same thing. So we see praise literally coming before Jesus's arrival into Jerusalem as a coming king. It even says in Mark, the coming kingdom of our father David. Now, of course, the crowd doesn't really understand even what they're saying and they're prophesying. They're thinking he's bringing an earthly kingdom when really he's bringing a heavenly kingdom. But no matter what they think in their heads, God is using them for his purposes. Praise comes first, Jesus's arrival and his kingdom comes next. Jesus actually gives us this sequence of events in what we call the Lord's Prayer. The disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, do it this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. There's the praise. Right after that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the sequence once again. There's one more spot in scripture that I want to show you that sequence. Let's go to Revelation 
Here we are in Revelation 8, talking about the seals and the trumpets. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before the Lord, and seven trumpets were given to them. We're going to skip ahead to the seventh trumpet. Chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. There we see the sequence again, because after this, Satan and death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. So we see praise and worship heralding the arrival with a trumpet, which of course is appropriate given what we read about in Exodus, heralding the arrival of the coming kingdom, and then God establishes his kingdom over everything, creation, people, and the heavenly realm. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So clearly in scripture, we see this sequence. First praise and worship, we enthrone the Lord. He comes and sits down in the midst of our praise and establishes his kingdom. That's why we do it. Yes, we do it because he's worthy and absolutely he deserves our praise. And we're actually created for it. All of those are reasons But the purpose, what he uses the worship and the praise for, is to establish his kingdom because he likes doing it with us. That's why he made us, to do it with him. Now, that is an amazing privilege and honor that the church has to be able to enthrone him with our praises. Unfortunately, the church has not and does not always live up to that call with our praise and worship. And so next week, I'm going to give a little bit of a warning There are two ways in which I see the church today misusing praise and worship. Instead of enthroning the Lord, we use it for a couple of other things. We're going to talk about that next week. Hey, I hope that episode helps you and encourages you to worship with intention because what we are called to do with our praise and worship is nothing less than enthrone the Lord. If you need help with arranging your worship songs, make sure to go to blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.